podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello everybody and welcome. It is the Anfield Index face-off fan reaction without the opposition fan this week, but post our derby game, which is a game that happened. We'll talk about it, I suppose, somehow. <laughs> Joining me, I've got two of my men, my main men. Obviously, um, regular on the show over the long term now, uh, host and co-host of the Academy Pod, many other pods along the way. Please give a warm welcome back to Guy Drinkle. How are you, Guy? Yeah, it kind of speaks volumes about this game that I'm on both the post-match ones because nobody else wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a saviour, Guy. That's all, that's all you are, and I will not have it any other way. <laughs> Because uh, without you, this, I don't think this pod would, would have gone off. And, uh, well, the other person without which this pod would, uh, would, would not have gone off. I, I do speak English normally. I do. Um, <laughs> but a regular over the short term and uh, accomplice of mine, I suppose, over the last couple of pods, it is Tadiwa Chankiri. How are you, Tadiwa? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. A lot better than some of the fans that went to that game. But <laughs> <laughs> It was a bit weird, that game, though, right, guys? Because... When I was watching it, there was a, a sort of eerie sense of calm that I'd not had watching any Liverpool games since I was born, which was, it, it was just, it felt a bit chilled. I, I sort of just felt like everything didn't have enough to threaten us at all. But even with the commentary, even the build up to the game, everybody was sort of building it as this game that Everton needed to win. And us sort of getting a draw was fine. Uh, how do you react to that guy? I'll, I'll go with you first. Did you have that same sort of response of like, well, if we draw it, it's fine? Um, yeah, I think I don't. I don't think people were saying drawing was fine. I think people were just saying this doesn't really matter. <laughs> it, it just get to the city game. That's basically what I, I was I was seeing um, on social media and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, drawing ultimately was fine, wasn't it? I mean, we played. I've, I think it was like seven people who you can't, you can maybe a couple of them class as first teamers, but there was a lot, there was a lot of rotated players in there, um, and Everton going full strength, and we still outplayed them. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, Everton's full strength is not is not what it used to be, man. It's, well, it's like... they do have some good players. Just, they do. No, they, they do. Got, it's just that got like a bloke they... in the dugout who is funny. <clears throat> It's it's just like no matter who is on the field anymore, it, it just sort of feels like we are playing for a really nil-nil. That, that is it. Yeah, it's... yeah. You know, like I really like like in 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 Everton. I sort of I think Wayne Rooney can be dangerous. I think Sigurdsson can be dangerous. You know, there's a couple of players there that uh, you know for for where Everton are are really good players, and it's just not all sort of coming together. I mean, Tadira, what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I think overall there was a, uh, a bit of hesitation, I thought, from our players, especially considering what's to come on Tuesday. I think it was more the fear of, I really don't want to get injured. Probably Henderson is the only <laughs> one that could afford, afford to, to, you know, throw caution to the wind in that sense, because he knew he wasn't playing on Tuesday. But it, it did feel like, to be honest, it's, it sort of felt like a practice game compared mm. to a derby. It was a lot closer to, to just a normal Sunday league kickabout, the casual ones, not not the not the fierce Sunday league ones, um, <laughs> compared to what you would expect from a derby. And then if you compare that now to, let's say, the Manchester derby towards the end of that, how feisty that got. I mean, it it was night and day. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it with you, Tadewa. So many changes for Liverpool. It sort of contributed to this feeling that it was certainly second tier game relative to you know our. our, our most uh, our nearest huge goal which is which as guy was saying is that city game and you know that's still coming up but that, that sort of contributed to the sort of laid back atmosphere 
Are you in favor of that, especially, you know, the derby game is supposed to be an important one. Um, Everton, you never know what you're going to get, even in a derby game. But were you happy with, with your so many changes rung out for, for Liverpool Football Club? Um, I think Klopp has highlighted this point, and it's, it's to do with sort of the Premier League accommodating these type of situations. Um, if, if we take Liverpool, for example, uh, if you take Liverpool and Man City, Liverpool don't don't have any of those double game weeks coming up for the rest of the season. As you can tell, I'm a fantasy player, so I know these things. Um, so arguably, there could have been space for Liverpool to play this this Everton game a bit later on in the season because there there are fixtures that have been that have been put put in those double game weeks. So it's something I think the Premier League need to look at along with how they've looked at um, getting a winter break. Just something to benefit our teams instead of, you know, looking to hinder them. Because, I mean, if you look at the the fixtures, it's it's two, it's two Champions League games against Man City. Regardless of what score either game, uh, what regardless of the score of the first game, both games are going to be end-to-end heavyweight fighters, you know, just throwing big blows at each other. So that physically and mentally is such, such a draining game. And then you throw in the middle of it a Merseyside derby, you know, our big derby. Um, it, it's it's baffling, you know, to to see how they were okay with this. And then you look at the timing of the games. So I think all of that played a factor um, into Klopp's thinking. And with regards to the team sheet, look, we, I was... I was happy with Klopp putting the least um, injury risk 11 on the pitch because we've seen over the past week or two weeks that a lot of our players have been getting injured. It, and it might be, you know, coming towards the end of the season, the fixtures maybe are getting a bit increased. Um, it might not look at on paper, but psychologically for the players, it could be quite a big factor, you know, with so many miles in their legs. So I was happy just to get as many uh, as 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 little players that were um that had a high risk of injury on the pitch and then also i thought it was important to then get minutes for the likes of klein and clavin because they they could become very important especially if we go through against um city city on tuesday then klein and clavin could be very very pivotal either in the champions league or in the premier league just to give some of our players a bit of rest um, with regards to the guys up front, I, I assumed he was going to keep at least one of the front three. Um, Mane was was the obvious choice with Salah being injured and Firmino being more central these days. It, it, it made sense at least to have the pace of Mane and you could see he was quite heavily involved. Everyone was sort of looking at him to, to do something in this game. Um, the midfield, I think, kind of picked itself. Uh, Henderson was always going to start. Genie and Milner, Milner, you know, you, you kind of need a Milner in a derby game, someone that's that's hard, someone that knows the English game. Um, obviously, it, 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 and it didn't pan out that way in the game, but his experience would have been key there. Um, the defense, you want to keep Lovren and Van Dijk together now uh, until the end of the season, basically. Just build that up as much as possible. So, yeah, the team sheet, I wasn't too bothered with it. Um in terms of the context of it's a derby, throw your best team in there. I, I think for this derby, I think we can just we can let Klopp slide for this one, guys. We have to take things into context. There's a big opportunity for us to get into the semifinals of the Champions League, um, which is what we want to be doing, which is where we want to be competing. And we've kind of got that buffer against Chelsea. We had that sort of 10-point buffer for them to play two games. Um I think they they drew this weekend as well as us, so we still had that buffer, um, which allowed us to do something like this. Yeah, so I was okay with the team. All right, all right, guy, talk to me about this game because a couple of people are calling it the most boring derby ever. <laughs> if you agree, but it was, I mean, that's an important thing, right? Because as the Dewey was saying, that we have this game right in between the two Champions League games. The same thing, Man City were complaining about. You've got, you know. Their derby smack between these two games. It's not a lot of time to prepare. Virgil van Dijk was talking about that in today's press conference. So was Jurgen Klopp. Now, Everton didn't have that. They didn't have, you know, um, the obligation of going to play those two games. They had a lot more rest. They had a lot more time to prepare. A couple of people were even actually suggesting that because they didn't have really anything else to play for in the season, they would come out quite feisty. We would be the ones trying to preserve our players and get out without any injuries and yet sort of none of that really happened it was 
it's just a strange hobby in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from both sides, well, from our side, we pretty much just played like a a, a rotated team, didn't we? we yet we mm. still we still controlled the game bar about ten minute spells at the uh, start of the game at the end of the game. So yeah, from our from our point of view. I, I didn't really care. I mean, I didn't want, obviously, I would have been kind of annoyed if we lost. But, it, drawing was fine, winning's obviously fine. Whether it was nil-nil or four-all, I, I couldn't really care. Um, but from their point of view, I mean, to do such a lifeless point, like, a, a lifeless performance, I mean, you're never gonna have a better chance to win a derby, are you? Um, and this is a thing, right, guy, because I remember, what is it? It was a couple derbies ago, but I was sitting with Jan Fidzi, and he he was just you know one of his one of the Everton fans he knows was saying like it's unlikely Everton are go you know it, sort of a little bit tongue in cheek but a little bit serious would never have another victory in the derby in his lifetime you know kind of thing. This was such a good opportunity yeah. to just rush Liverpool you know and and get that out. And instead we just they just allowed us to hold them at arm's length. It, it was like. You know, it was like an easy heavyweight boxing match, title defense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was like Anthony Joshua the other week, wasn't it? It uh, was just a big guy jabbing away. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was just an absolute. It was just an easy day at the office, wasn't it? Really. I mean, Carrius obviously had to make a good save that we'll talk about later. But other than that, they didn't really test us. I mean, there was a couple long shots and stuff like that, but. And a couple very badly missed chances, but yeah, they they just didn't really seem to to care. I mean, you can kind of, <laughs> you can kind of um, understand the lack of intensity from our side, as I said, but from their point of view, I mean, it as you say, that's probably their last thing of the season. I mean, they're, they're not going to go down, and they're not going to well, they can't, they're not even near Burnley and Leicester, never <laughs> never mind the top four. So. Mm. Yeah, all they've got left, well, after this game, is to get a top half finish, which is should have been that shouldn't even been coming into a question for Everton last season. They finished seventh, seventh or something. Like they were in the league of their own. I know mm. they lost Lukaku and stuff, but they should they should be top they should be top half. I, don't, I know they bought about twenty number tens and stuff like that, but Jesus, the team the team was set <laughs> to be top half and safe. Mm. Just, mm. I'd hate to be, I'd hate to be an Everton fan because that that bloke in charge and stuff like that. It, it, God, well, he's he's their version of Hodgson, but it's less damaging, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. But yeah, but I mean, to do it, maybe it's a good time to bring you into this one because I know we were talking earlier. You've done some research into Everton and and sort of where they are. It, it just feels a little bit lifeless at the club at the moment. They they. they I don't know if they, you know, they, maybe they're not playing for, for anything at the moment and Big Sam has got his goal of staying in the Premier League. It, this is just no way to end the season though, surely. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite an interesting time for Everton. And obviously I'm not an Everton fan, so I won't claim to be an expert. But, um, from what I've seen and from what I've heard talking to Everton fans, etc., is that there seems to be sort of a battle an in-house battle going on between Sam Allardyce himself and the philosophy he has in terms of what the team is playing, um, opposed to what the fans are expecting, what the fans are hoping for. And you could see that during this game. It all played out during this game as well. There were times in this game where the team was clearly, Everton I'm speaking about, was clearly set up to sit back and soak up the pressure and then hope to break us, um, you know, break away on the counters with Balassi and Walcott on the wings. And mm. you could see our centre-backs had so much time on the ball. And not even our, only our centre-backs, but our midfield had so much time, you know, to take touches, to look up, to see a pass. And you could see the Everton fans getting frustrated. You know, this is a derby. Get stuck in, get in their faces. And you could see as soon as the fans would sort of get riled up, you'd see one player sort of shoot 
um, out of out of out of that defensive block and try and close down because I'm I'm sure the players you know uh, they're human beings so they can hear the frustration in their minds they're probably thinking yeah we should be pressing you know what I mean so there mm. were always those little those little one off presses from one player and then you'd get a uh, you know a cheer from the crowd so you could see that dynamic playing out it's something that's played out the entire season but you could see it perfectly in that game and then um, I think with Sam Allardyce obviously. With regards to the narrative of Everton, he was given the job of he was given an eighteen month contract, but it was one of those where no one really believed he was going to be there for eighteen months. It was basically <laughs> sort of, you know what I mean. It was one of those just get us out of trouble. Um, ironically, with uh, West Brom, I know some West Brom fans wouldn't agree, but it was one of those where the problems that West Brom were having, it was almost like they needed a Tony Pulis to come in. Yet they fired Tony Pulis. But it was one of those, um, okay, Everton, we can't afford to go down. Um, let's just stop, you know, stop the bleeding now and then we'll sort it out next season. So he came in and to be fair, you know, he, I know he had a comment and, 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 and I don't know if it was a few months ago or a year or so ago where he was saying, if I was Sam Aladici, you know, from Spain or somewhere, I'll be getting a lot more credit for the work that I do. But then surely this is the perfect opportunity for him. You know, Everton are, mm-hmm. you know, they're quite an established club in the Premier League, a lot, a lot more established than any of the clubs he's ever yeah. managed. You know what and I they've mean? They've got a bit of cash now, right? Exactly. They've, they've got the backing. Um, so it was, it was an opportunity for him to show that I actually do deserve to be in one of these, uh, one of these clubs and, and I can actually do the job, but it seems like he's sort of been hesitant. It, it was just for him. It was just okay. Let's stay up. But surely once they had stayed up, then I, the the problem the fans are having is okay. Once we had stayed up, we were now expecting to have that freedom for our players to play, because they do have the players, as we mentioned. Um, you know what I mean. But it it seems like there is a lot of in-house fighting. I, I don't know if you want me to go further into their, their future prospects, which I suppose could be quite exciting for Everton fans. Um, yeah, go on, if you, go on. Yeah, so if you if you look at what they're trying to do, and this is furthermore to to the term, turmoil, and the players aren't really playing for Big Sam in the sense that they know what's to come in the future. So they've got... Um, the the idea for them is they've got to, they've got to replace uh, Steve Walsh, who's the director of football at the moment there. And although he's not necessarily being ousted asked out of the club, they are looking to bring someone else in who will then sort of um, partner with him, so to speak. Um, okay. And that um, so sorry, partner with they, Sam or no 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 with partner with with Walsh with Walsh. Right. So this this is from the um, a background point of view, and that is uh, Marcel Brands. So he he's the sports director at PSV, um, and you could see the job he's done. So you could see the idea that Everton are trying to to bring in. It's sort of a they they want to be um, PSV sort of became sort of like what Ajax, what we would normally see as Ajax as one of those teams that's a training club for young players, um, where they can come through. They 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 scout them very young into the bring them into the academy they have a very good academy set up and then those players get a chance to play first team football you know at an established club and then you know they can always look to move on if obviously they're not fulfilling their potential their full potentials or reaching the goals that they want to there and you can see at PSV when Marcel Brands came in the like some of the players that you maybe some of the people may recognize um in his first season there he brought in the likes of Kevin Strutman he brought in Dries Mertens. He brought in our very own Genie Wijnaldum. Um, and then there were a few youngsters as well, like the Bakalis and the Memphis Depays, that he was able to bring through the academy because they realized that they can't compete necessarily by signing the big players, and especially in the Dutch league. So you, it's more of a competition of trying to sign the young players, the really good up-and-coming young players who could be coming up. And that I think that could be quite a fruitful um, tactic for Everton in that get in some hungry young players that are looking to prove themselves, you know, and you can always blend that in with some of the more experienced players. So you have that in the background and then the coach they're looking to bring in. And I think this is where the pairing then, then works out is, um, the coach of Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Paolo Fonseca, sorry, mm. Paolo Fonseca. And he, you know, he came into, 
he came into quite a difficult job there at Shakhtar because he he was replacing their legendary coach um, Lucescu, who actually has a has a statue built um, on on in his honor at the stadium. So this is a guy that had been at Shakhtar Donetsk for a number of years. He had won, um, I think it was something like he had in twelve seasons he won about eight league titles. It was six of their equivalent, the FA Cup that they had won, and he had also won a UEFA Cup. So this this was a manager that obviously had pedigree and had favor with some of the fans. So when he came in, uh, when Francesco came in, he there was a lot of pressure. There were a lot of eyes on him. And the first thing he had to do was he had to play a qualifier to get into the Champions League. And they, they had the home leg and they won it 2-0. And you know what I mean? That That's quite exciting. But they ended up um, in the return leg losing... Um, losing 2-0 and it went to penalties and unfortunately they lost on penalties. So in his first season then they didn't have the money for him to then go buy the players that he would ideally have wanted which was coming from the Champions League money. So he actually had to coach the players that he had there in the sense that so he was able to showcase that he's he's more than just you know you, you get the different style of coaches. Some coaches prefer to buy specific players to fit a specific system. There's some coaches that are able to you know get more out of other, um, players that are already there, which which is what he 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 seemed to have done at Shakhtar. He didn't really change the style of play too much. Um, he likes the four two three one, um, and he 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 likes to. Funny enough, the perfect club would, for him would be Leicester. I'm, try, I'm just trying to paint a picture so people can understand his style of play in the sense that they sit back, um, but when they counter, they counter um, with de- devastating effect. And what they do is the front, so they have the, the, the striker and the two wingers sort of have a free role like our strikers um, tend to have or our front three tend to have in the sense that if the ball goes to the right-hand side, they might all shift to the right-hand side without specific static positions. Um, so they try and counter quick and then try and just yeah, right. pick up those holes where where you've left spaces. So if you have a coach like that and you have a lot of youngsters, he can then coach them and groom them into becoming the players that, you know, that can fulfill their potential. So you can see the optimism at Everton. But once again, it has to be something that has to be done the right way. Um, if you look at the, the before this season started, um, there's the famous shouts uh, that Everton were going to finish above us and stuff like that, where they had the money, um, but they just didn't use it in the right way. And similarly here, they have an opportunity, to be fair, to actually create something that obviously would be long-term thinking, but something that could actually be sustainable for them. And just in closing, you know, obviously there are um, our, our rivals in terms of there are uh, their our local rivals. But for me, as long as Everton finishes one point behind Liverpool, I couldn't care less what they do. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> and and if you look at it in the sense of if if let's say Liverpool finish first and Everton finish second, well, that's two clubs coming out of Liverpool that are in the Champions League. That means more money for the city of Liverpool. It just uplifts the community. And Everton do do a lot of work in the community of Liverpool as a whole. So I don't mind if Everton are doing well just then they just can't do as well as liverpool <laughs> that's true. yeah that that's that's pretty accurate <laughs> beyond that i don't actually care until the derby <laughs> rolls up <laughs> that's true um yeah let's go on now we, we, we'll get back to the game a, a little bit guy everton not like like we're saying they're having a bit of trouble in a bit of a i mean that would be a really good model it's just you, you know that today was talking about you just have to dedicate yourself to it it seems to be difficult for English teams to really do that, you know, there's only a, a couple like Swansea before the takeover, Southampton, you know, that really sort of dedicate themselves to a, a sort of a little bit of a different model outside of the top teams. If if we go back to the match, however, I wanted to talk guy about Carius because he pulled another fantastic save, and he seems to be doing this. He he sort of pulls out one per game. Yeah, he does that kind of thing. He's, he's called on once, he does it, and he's got a couple of clean sheets in a row now. A few, I should say, a few clean sheets in a row. He seems to be going about his business pretty well. Just, you know, is that, how much of that is an upgrade in the goalkeeping department relative to an upgrade in our defensive unit play? Well, if you compare and Mignolet to Carrius, I mean, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. I can't really think of anything other than Minulator Carriers. I think that speaks volumes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, Carriers is just level. He's levels, he's levels above Minulator. I mean, Minulator had a, had a good um, last couple of months of last season. Disney, Disney obviously played a, a big part in us getting top four and stuff like that, which is fair dues. But this season, uh, he, he was back to normal Minulator. Um, but since Carrius came in, um, I think it was the Everton FA Cup game that kind of started it. Um, yeah, Carrius has been bloody fantastic. I mean, comparing it with Mignolet doesn't do him justice. I mean, we got to start comparing him to the other people in the league. I, mean, I know De Gea's in a league of his own at the minute, and he mm. still is, um, regardless of people's form. Um, but you can compare him to Loris, who's having, who's had a couple of stinkers recently. Edison, the who was the flavour of the month um, back at the start of the season, he's he's had a couple of mistakes. I mean, look at it, looking at versus and versus Man United. I mean, he wasn't exactly strong in any of the situations there. There, um, Courtois, he just doesn't seem bad assed I mean, he's he's probably one he of the only ones. Doesn't now, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talent, talent wise, he should be near the De Gea. I mean, if you look at his Atletico Madrid days, he he was with, he was at that level with De Gea, but now now he just doesn't seem that arse, and I imagine he just wants to move away from Chelsea. Um, so yeah, Carius is definitely up there. I mean, check. I mean, five years ago maybe. Um, but yeah, Carius is definitely definitely top five in the league for me. Um, so yeah, it's time to start talking about him in general as the league. But as as I said with Minula, he he had a purple patch last season. So let's hope Carrius isn't having a purple patch himself. So yeah, it, time will tell with Carrius. Obviously, we've got the links with Allison and stuff like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what we do in the summer. But for me, I I I trust uh, Carrius and stuff like that. But yeah, as you said, he's, he's making big save after big save now. Uh, the West Ham one springs to my mind when Arnautovic try to chip him. But mm. the uh, the one at the weekend, that was bloody fantastic in itself. I mean, oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's a bit cliche to say Sky Sports and name a channel after him if it was De Gea, but the wood. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like these last couple months, last few months, it's like been high like real of saves, hasn't it? And it's it's not just the big saves, K, is it? It's it's the comfortableness mm. when he's catching the ball, when he's put, when he's claiming the ball and stuff like that. It's that's what that's. And what also, missed. it's the sweeping yes, and the distribution, yes. and like just that, you know. I mean, he might not be brilliant in all of it, but to get like seventy, seventy-five percent in the in the areas that we want, at least, it just feels so much better. There was one stage, guy. I think there were like thirteen games in a row or something ridiculous yeah. like that, where we conceded from the first shot on target. You know, those, it just seems so far away now. Those rumors uh, for Allison and, um, all black and all those, it just seems to have just cooled down. You know, the feeling around them just seems to have had a bit of water thrown on them just because of the form of carriers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, people, people seem to, uh, put his improvement down to Van Dyke coming in and stuff like that. But I think quite a lot of people on AI have really said, as soon as Carrius got a run in the team after his settling in period, which seemingly was last season, um, obviously I think it finished with the Bournemouth game where it was a bit of a mare and stuff like that. But we we saw we saw we saw little t- um, glimpses of his talents last season with the, with the Southampton tie. I know we went out obviously in the League Cup, but he 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 kept us in that tie in in both legs if I remember correctly. So. We we saw that he was talented, but this season or this half a season, he's shown why we bought him, and it's um, it it's just it's nice having a goalkeeper we can trust. I mean, Pepe Reina mm. was bloody brilliant for uh, like three three years. I mean, probably three or four years. Mm. Um, but he he fell off a cliff himself towards the end, and Menulay's had one purple patch in probably his time here and stuff like that, but it, it's just nice having Carrius. He, he may not he may not get to De Gea's level, but who the hell has... <laughs> there's like three goalkeepers mm. in the world who are at De Gea's level. Um, but yeah, if we can... If we can, if he keeps this form up and he's going to probably be top five, top three in the league, that's, a, that's enough to win... That's enough to challenge and win, for, win the league. Mm. That's, 
that that should be our aim. Um, but yeah, Carrius, the fact that he's not like panicking on crosses and stuff like that, that that's probably the best sign for me. Even when Mignolet was yeah. playing well, he still looked a bit dodgy in these things. Whereas Carrius, um, I think may, people may have a bit of a. Do you remember when Sacco was like really good at passing the ball, but people like still shat themselves when he had the ball? Yeah, at his feet. I think it may be something like that with Carrius because sometimes he looks like he's a bit hesitant and stuff like that, but mm. he isn't. As you said, it, it's the sweeping and stuff like that, and I think him and Van Dyke coming in together, it's just put it's it's given a new identity to the defence. Whereas he got a comfortable keeper um, who's good at crosses, and, or that was apparently his weakness before he joined us, but he's improved massively there. He can sweep, he can well, he can keep the ball going in the bloody net, which we've missed for a while. Um, and then Van Dijk, he's, he, well, he's just bloody brilliant, isn't he? So yeah, them two coming in, it's kind of transformed our uh, fortunes at the back. Yeah, let's move from the defense into the midfield now, Tadira. We played Milner and Henderson in the center. Uh, you know, this Junior um, was the sixth, but I'm coming to that in a, in a bit. I, let's just talk about Milner and Henderson now. What are your thoughts on those two? You know, Emre Chan looks like he's going to be out for a little while at least. They seem to be coming in and doing a job, particularly Milner, who just has hit another seeming purple patch but it is just been doing pretty well you know i remember when we first got Mulner and we played him in the in, in central midfield he used to literally run into people that was how he tackled and he doesn't seem to be doing that anymore and furthermore when he does get up the field um into sort of the final third as a supplementary attacker almost he, he does really well to knit the play together up front what are your thoughts on those two not just Milner, but Henderson as well. And his, you know, what is your impression of him moving forward now? Yeah, I think with Milner, first of all, um, there there was always this boring James Milner account on Twitter that it was quite picture perfect in that it sounded like some of the stuff it said sounded like exactly what James Milner had uh, would say. And mm. now James Milner has Twitter, and it's absolutely amazing. If you haven't gone checked out his Twitter. Um, it's so much fun. He, he, he actually, level, yeah, yeah. He, he he's very he's very good at actually um, enjoying himself, and I think it's something that 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 is a key word for him. He's starting to, or not necessarily starting, but he is enjoy. It looks like he's enjoying these last years of his career. I think he's one of those very intelligent players that he would know. It's you know his career is coming towards an end, but with the way he's playing. Um, he's just one full-grown beard away from doing what Pirlo did in the sense of, you know, the older he was getting, he sort of reinvented himself and found a new way of playing the game. Um, and I don't know if that's credit to Klopp. I don't know if it's credit to Molnar, but that that blend, I'm sure it's some, it would be somewhere in the middle if you were to actually look at it closely. That blend seems to be working. And um, it, it it's it's... It's a joy to watch because a lot of players sort of tail off towards the end of their careers. But there's someone, you know, if you look at the contrast between him and Wayne Rooney, um, the ages are quite similar. But look at the any energy levels that were shown during the game. Molnar was going up and down. You know, he, you know, in that first half, he seemed to be the one that was sort of driving from the midfield, which was quite, which was quite nice to see. I know we'll get get onto Genie later on in the day. So it's nice to see. It's. It's also good to see that Klopp has, I think he's learned from last season, and which is a, a big thing. Klopp seems to be, every season he seems to learn from, from the previous season. And last season, it, I, I personally, I felt like he played James Milner way too much. And it, it affected him towards the end of the season. His legs were shot. Whereas this season, he's been very sparing with James Milner. He doesn't necessarily play him, mm. you know, two, two games during a week. He gives him the rest that's needed. Because he knows Molnar's one of those players that he doesn't need three, four, five games to, you know, to get his game back. Mm. If, you know, James Molnar could be out for 10 games. If he comes in, he's going to do a job and he's going to do it pretty well with the way he's playing at the moment. He's going to do it pretty well. So I'm, I'm happy with the way he's playing. I'm pretty sure he'll be starting on Tuesday and big up to him. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see. Uh, if we move on to Jordan Henderson, obviously he's, Jordan Henson and Emre Chan are, are, are the big midfield conundrums, hey, when it comes to Liverpool, because I suppose they're the ones that 
split the fan base almost in half in terms of whether you rate them or you're not. And you don't know football if you rate the other one, whereas you do know football if you rate the other one. Look, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's a personal opinion, obviously, and um, people seem to be quite strong about it. With Jordan Henderson, um, I do feel, obviously, he's not the same player that was there in 13-14, unfortunately. It's the same with, you know, with Sturridge. It, it's not the same player. But I still think he within himself he's still sort of i think finding out how he's adjusting to that role this new role that he's been asked to play and also to to play within the limits of what he's now capable of doing um i think there are times where james um where jordan henderson can be absolutely on it um and then there are times where he just looks a bit bland so it's 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 a mixture it's something that he he needs to grow into but i think the there are some there are some people that obviously take it too far with the criticism. I, I saw a few tweets saying that you know has James Milner made a single pass going forwards in this game, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, that that's a bit hard. It's it's a narrative that people like to throw out, regardless of have you actually watched how many passes he's made, you know, going forward. Um, and also I think the responsibility of being the captain, personally, I think it's it's weighed on him a bit more. Um, and funny enough, when he was being announced captain, I was actually one of the people that was calling for him to be to be announced the captain. I didn't want necessarily one of the older players that were that were on their way out. I did want one of the younger players. And the trajectory he was going on with regards to 13, 14 before the injuries, it looked like it was a very, very good decision. Still today, I still think it's it, it's a good decision. But I'm starting to feel there are some players. Um, in the team, and I'm sure people have have the names of those, or they can they can guess which names I'm talking about. But there are players now in the team that actually could take over that captain's role, and and the worry for him, I'm assuming, would be the moment he loses that captaincy at Liverpool, how much importance would he necessarily have in the team? I think if if he's um, if we look at the plans that Liverpool are looking to make this summer. Um, if we just think out loud of the likes of the Jorginho's and the um, obviously Cater coming in and whoever other names you want to throw in there, it would be very very difficult to make to form a a, a, a midfield three that has Jordan Henderson starting in it when we're talking about our best three midfielders in that team. But in terms of a squad player, I think he could be a phenomenal player. Um, he's got all the attributes. Despite his limitations, he's still got the lungs in him. He's still got stamina. He's still, he's one of those, um, he, he travels laterally very well. And I'm talking defensively in the sense of he can close down and cut the spaces laterally very, very well. He's, he's one of the really, really good players at doing that. Most people look to do, close down vertically, you know, up and down the field, but cutting across the field, he, he does that quite well. So it, it, I think it's going to, a lot of the players that we have, not just Jordan Henderson, you know, your likes of your Genie Wijnaldums and stuff. It's going to come down to, are they going to be happy being in, in, in a squad team? Or are they looking to be the, you know, the first names on the team sheet? Because with, with the competition that's looking to come in, I think it might be a bit difficult for them to, to have a nailed on spot in the team opposed to being players in a squad. And, and there's not, there's no shame in, in being, you know, obviously the tagline of being a squad player isn't isn't so flattering. But there are times where if you look at, for example, at City, Bernardo Silva, technically speaking, he is a squad player, but he's still a fantastic player that's playing a role for them. Um mm. this game was this game highlighted how Liverpool, you know, maybe it could be argued, don't have the depth. Uh, I know we'll move on to the forward line. Uh, don't have the depth in attack. But if we had sort of the the cat let's say a Jordan Henderson equivalent of a forward. Um, waiting in the wings to then come on. He could have done a job, um, a very good job probably uh, uh, over the weekend. You know what I mean? So I think it's go- it's going to be him actually deciding. I doubt Klopp will actively look to sell him, but I think he'll explain to him that um, the likelihood of you starting, um, it, it's not as likely. But in that also, then I have the confidence in knowing that if Jordan Henderson is starting next season with the players that, Let's say we assume the players we, we assume are coming in do come in. If Jordan Henderson is starting, it means he's playing brilliant football because it, it means he's keeping a certain, insert name here, out of the team. 
So mm-hmm. it could also be a motivation to him. And it's it's in, in a club team, if you're playing well, you will start. It's not necessarily one of those teams, you know, there, there are other managers where you know no matter how well you play, um, he's got his favorites. With club, if you're playing well, you will play. So it's not saying that his career is over. It would just be saying, you know, it's going to be a bit harder to get into the, the first team for him. Oh, interesting, interesting. I'm, I'm actually not a big fan of the single captain model that all football teams around the world use. And I know that's not going to change, but I, I sort of just wish that we had like a recognized three or four captain and it just wasn't such a it's big like deal. In, either. It's like that in Germany, Kev. They, they, really? They, yeah, they, it's, it's quite interesting because I think that's why, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but I'm sure you have, a lot of the times Klopp has said, you know, there were times when yeah. Coutinho was captain yeah, he doesn't care, complaining. Really, yeah. Yeah, where he doesn't care. That's because in Germany, they would have sort of like a club captain who who would be, I guess, the, the, the dressing room leader in, 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 in title. You know what I mean? Because obviously you have mm. to have a, a captain named. But they actually have leaders within the team that are captains, you know, captain of the defense, captain of yes, the young that's, players. that's exactly what, I, what I'm talking about. Captain of the older players. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. They split yep. it up. So I think it's quite. it was quite funny, you know, when certain players were getting the captaincy earlier in the season and people were complaining the mentality that Klopp was bringing to it is the mentality from the Bundesliga where I don't have just one captain, as, as you were saying. Um, there are a lot of captains and captains for different things, sort of like they would have a captain for, let's say, the young players in the squad. You know what I mean? Which is something we would, it, it would be quite strange for us. But let's say they'll say, they'll take uh, Ben Woodburn, for example, and say, okay, he's the captain for the the younger players in the team. Um you know what I mean? And, and any players that then come from the academy coming up, they mm, go straight can to have playing. a reference, can, uh, exactly. go get under his... Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so it's a different mentality. So maybe Klopp brings that in next season? I don't know. Yeah, I, well, yeah, that's cool. I, I would love that kind of sort of model. But yeah, I mean, Guy, talking about Henderson there, he's been fulfilling the number six position for us as, as, as well as the captaincy. That seems to be a little bit under threat now. A lot of people calling for VVD to, to take that up. But captain issues aside, Hendo as the six. We saw Ginny play as the six in the Everton game. What did you think of his performance? And do you think uh, that's where Ginny's going to play for the City game? Um, yeah, I think he has to, really. Because, um, well, Oxlade-Chamberlain's an attacking midfielder who was mainly a winger for in his Arsenal days, wasn't he? And he had a couple positions, like right wing back and a couple spells at centre mid. But he... he He's known for his attacking play. I mean, just look at his time in at Liverpool. He, mm. The drive and stuff from that, you don't want that in the six. You want you want that in the well, that kind of half ten, half eight position, don't you? Um, yeah. And then James Milner, I mean, you, you talked about it there in his first season. Uh, he just tried to tackle everyone. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think he's, I don't know if he's got like the positional discipline yeah. for that. Really. Yeah, I mean, in his first season, you saw why people didn't, want him in centre mid and stuff like that, him playing in the midfield too, it kind of um, hi- highlighted that Milner hadn't played centre mid in like a don- in like a million years. Mm. But no, in, 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 in the midfield, three Milner's fine in a, in a uh, in midfield. But yeah, G- Ginny, it, it, the, this was his uh, warm-up game, wasn't it? This is the, just get the uh, old brain pumping with, uh, with that. We've not. We I think we've seen it a couple times. I think maybe in pre-season. I think we may have seen it once last season as well. But yeah, I thought I thought Ginny actually did quite well. Um, he 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 dribbled out of um, tough spots quite well. He he seemed comfortable on the ball, dictate, and I think he I think he had the most passes and he had the most touches and stuff like that. Which mm. as do you think? Yeah, I mean, guy, on that note, like getting Ginny in that role, he was talking about it today. Getting on the ball more. Um, you know, being more of a fulcrum in the side, the ball sort of has to go through you. You're the first or second person to start build up play from that position. Do you think that's a better position for him than sort of what he was playing? Of you know, maybe a bit more of a, not a recycler, but like a, a short distributor to be in a place where you know somebody just needs a short pass and also to be able to just retain possession. That's something you can also bring to the six. Do you think this is a better position for him longer term? Um, if well, say say if we say if Chan stayed, I think you look at Ginny and you look at Henderson and you look at Chan. I think Ginny's obviously 
he doesn't have a passing range and stuff like that. I mean, Henderson obviously massively criticised for his sideway passing and stuff like that, but he does have a certain range to his passing where he can pull diagonals and stuff like that. Um, and Ginny seems to have that a dribbling ability where he's comfortable on the ball. He can he can dribble past players and stuff like that. Whereas Chan seems to have both, and I think he kind of do need both, especially in in our system. And I think mm. Ginny hasn't really been tested defensively yet. I don't think Hendo's the best defensively. Um, Chan's not. Chan's not. He's not exactly Van Yama and stuff in there either. Um, but I think Chan is the best package out out of the players we've got at the minute. I think he's the best of both worlds. Um, whereas Ginny may he may be able to develop there, but if well, if he was third choice six already. I mean, I don't think we'd mm-hmm. see it develop there anyway. But I think, I think he yeah. is better further forward. But he, he, he has had a undoubtedly has had a poor season. Um, he just goes missing in too many games and stuff like that. But in the in the city game, I know I know this will probably be have like one day <laughs> one day shelf life. So I won't talk about the city game too much. But in general, I think games like City do suit Ginny Wijnaldum. I think the kind of the UP lads are trying to figure out what what the Ginny conundrum is but when games seem to have a lot of um, transitions in the midfield um, Ginny seems to step up and stuff like that so when when both teams are losing the ball and stuff like Ginny seems to come into his element um, mm. maybe a bit more of a presser situation in the six but I think I think he do, I think he'll do okay it's just he he's never played that position against a team like yeah. this Man City team has it so we're kind of going into a world of the unknown but in general I think Ginny I think Ginny could develop into a six but it, it, I think he just needs to add a bit more in his passing range um, or maybe maybe as a sort of emergency mm-hmm. drop into a drop into a double pivot yeah kind of thing yeah we, to, we, to sort of half training for that but keep him mostly as as the sort of an eight yeah well we see we've seen at times where we go to a complete two in midfield haven't we and i think mm. when ox is playing he's he's more of a number 10 when say if we were playing um henderson chan Ginny, and um, that is that is free central midfield isn't it but when when ox is there i mean when lalana at times last season it is more of a 10 or a ten and a half, whatever the hell we're going to call it. So, um, yeah, I think we'll see Milner and Ginny. I think we'll see them more as not a flat two, but I think you'll see them trying to help each other out a lot more than we've seen in the past, where it is definitely a one-two in midfield. So yeah, I think I think Ginny will do fine, but I think you'll need a lot of help from Milner. But hopefully, Ox is switched on as well because I think Milner obviously has a job helping the fullbacks, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then that, that's where the biggest problem is going to come in for the City game. But what I want to move on to now, guys, and anybody can pick this up, but sometimes, man, just once, just once in a while, the media, social media, just throws up just a gem that you cannot ignore. <laughs> I want you guys to comment. Uh, one of the weirder rumors to come out of, <laughs> of uh, ITK land, uh, it's, it's a weird time for ITKs to be out and about, but I, I'm not sure where this rumor developed, but Marwan Fellaini is apparently on our radar. I thought this this is brilliant. Gave me like ten minutes of laughter today. What do you guys think of this? Um, something you'd be happy with? I'd be kind of happy with it myself because it'd be really funny. <laughs> That'd be my main one. Just the fact. Imagine if he came in and done well. Because I know he left Everton. Kind of on a sour note, if I remember correctly, and Man United fans seem to hate him. But imagine if he came to Liverpool and did well. He just boiled the piss of so many fans. <laughs> Everton, Man United, Liverpool is not the career trajectory of like basically any footballer. But today, what's your thoughts? <laughs> it would be quite a story, though. Um, look, I think he. If I was to describe a club player, he would probably be right near the bottom of a club player. But on, yeah. but if it's someone that I've gotten to the point where I think we should get to a point, let me say, um, where we should be now trusting who club brings in. Now that's that's not taking into account like all the rumored players because Liverpool will always be linked with about 50 players minimum a transfer window because Liverpool 
um, fans, we are very active sort of on social media, on the internet and stuff like that. So it does generate the clicks. So the clickbait people do love to link any person for any reason to Liverpool. So um, personally, I, I don't see it happening. If it does happen, I, I wish him the best. Obviously, because he'll now be a Liverpool player. He'll now be yep. a Liverpool player, and I'll probably cheer him louder than most players whenever we play Everton and Man United, just to stick it to them. Because it, Klopp could turn any player into a brilliant player. Um, I'm convinced of that. So if he does come in, he 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 he, he would get quite a few cheers from me. In terms of the likelihood of it happening. Um, I think I have a, a better chance of starting in goal tomorrow for us. Uh, than, oh, I don't know. Than, I don't know, Tzirik. I don't know because because you see, you would do very well in a long ball team. And Fernandinho has come out and said that Liverpool is essentially a long ball team. Which was, it was a perfect. It was a perfect jive. You know, when I heard him say that, I actually thought of Pep uh, actually instructing him to say that because. If you look at the game tomorrow, we definitely are going to be sitting quite quite deep and looking to counter. And in that, there are going to be a few balls that are going to be quite, quote-unquote, long balls. So I think it was quite a clever little cheeky dig to say, can you guys beat us again, you know, at that same game to try and sort of draw us out a little bit? You know what I mean? Um, to try and play on our tug on our egos a bit that, no, we can actually beat yeah. you on the ground, not 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 long balls. Um, but yeah, but in terms of the reason I said my likeliness and not necessarily like a Genie Wijnaldum's likeliness of playing in goal tomorrow is because based on Genie, just going back to Genie, uh, based on his trajectory, I'm going to take a wild, I'm going to make a big statement to say Genie Wijnaldum to win the clean sheets, the, the most clean sheets award in 2020. He played as a striker wow. as a kid. He was the left wing when he moved to Newcastle. He played um, <laughs> as the number 10 at Newcastle. He then played as an eight for us, and he moved down to a six against Brighton. He played as a center back. All he needs now is to put on that green that green jersey and be the goalie, oh. and he's going to win the clean sheet. 2020, watch the space. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, think, I think the Fernandinho comments are interesting for a couple of reasons, sort of a little bit ironic for a couple of reasons. Is that, But one of the things is that Similar to how Pep changed the way Bayern played against Dortmund and went a little bit more longer um, in terms of the passing, we've done that to City now, and it seems that you know they don't really like that. But the other thing is, this is very—it's a very peculiar game for us in that in the league where like the third. Uh, this is from Simon Brundish, where the team that plays the third least long balls behind City and Arsenal. So. Yeah, all right, mate. You know, Fernandinho, thumbs up. Uh, keep going, bud. Um, and to, just to close off the pod, Guy, I wanted to ask you, somebody who's been making waves this season, but away from Liverpool, Harry Wilson on both the international and club circuits, he's, he's been putting out a couple of really good performances. Tell us what you know about the... about. Tell us what you feel about his prospects sort of moving forward when he comes back into Liverpool. Does he have a future here? And w- how bright do you think that future is? Um, in terms of having a future, I mean, <laughs> if you look at the uh, the forward line yesterday, um, I know we're kind of running out of time, so we weren't going to mention it, but if you compare uh, Harry Wilson's form at Hull to what Danny Ings and Dom Solanke have done for Liverpool this season, Harry Wilson would start on our right wing, or one of the wings, pretty damn easily. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched him at Hull. I know he's, I know he's obviously put in putting up the numbers and stuff like that with goals and assists. I'm not sure what the rate is. Um, but he's definitely impressing in the championship. But I think we've seen I think we've seen with players in the past that the championship and the Premier League it's just it's such a massive gap. I mean we've seen Ryan Kent do their do well down there. I mean he didn't really put up the numbers that Harry Wilson doing admittedly but he he came to the Premier League and it, well he got a pre season but he didn't stay around and he went to the Bundesliga and did nothing. Um, Jordan Ive did well in the Championship, came back up, had a couple good performances and then sold like a season later. Mm. Um, but he he definitely has talent. I mean you look at you look at his under twenty three form. He he was the main man down there. I know people say he scored a lot of penalties and stuff like that. That, that I probably said that at the same time, but. 
you don't you don't know how good a player is until he plays consistent football at a certain level. And now looking at him in the championship, he's clearly one of the best players in the championship, or he certainly is in this patch of form. So say if he say if he has another loan spell down there and he does it over a season, he'll obviously be one of the best in the championship. But if he comes to Liverpool and he plays, let's let's compare it with Dom Solanke. I think he has about five hundred minutes of um, Premier League football. It'd be really hard to judge Harry Wilson, but we're hopefully going to be able to compete on more fronts next season with the League Cup and FA Cup as included as the Champions League and the Premier League. So we're going to need we're going to need players in positions, and if we have a limited budget as Liverpool always do. Um, we can't go around spending 30, 40 million on a backup winger, can we? So, mm. Harry Wilson probably deserves a chance, but we also, I think we need to buy versatile players who can cover, um, say if Harry Wilson was plan A, we can also have a player who can play up front and on the wing as backup to Firmino, but can also fill in as backup to Mane and Salah. So, say if Harry Wilson is either backup or second backup to um, Salah, that's fine with me. I think he's I think he's done enough at his time in Liverpool and his time at Hull to deserve a chance at Premier League football. In if anything, if he if, even if he has one or two moments in a, in a Premier League side, we've seen with players like Manche- Manchester United and stuff like that that you can get money for players who done jack shit. I mean Federico <laughs> Makeda, uh, well Jordan Arms probably a good example, better example. We got 15 million for him for doing bugger all. So yeah, just, mm. I'd probably give Harry Wilson some minutes. I mean, you obviously don't want to be over dependent on players like that, but I think he de- I think he definitely deserves a spot in the squad next season. Well, that's interesting. I I'm going to end this uh, this part with this question that uh, I let you have it. <laughs> Guy there mentioning Danny Ings and Dom Solanke, who I'm going to refer to now as Dings and Dom, because <laughs> they came into this game together. Well, well, assess their performance against Everton for me, and then, and then sort of go into the question of: Do you feel that they are adequate backup for for our forward line? It's just a lot of people are saying that sort of we leave Firmino and Salah out, and suddenly we don't really look like scoring goals to the same end. Yeah, I, th- I think we have to take into account, I mean, during the game, obviously, I, I was quite uh, upset with Dom Solanke, if you look at my, my Twitter timeline. But having had a, f- a few days or so to, to reflect on it, um, with regards to Dom Solanke, he's, st- he's obviously still a young player. Um, my concern with him was, well, we had Origi, who was sort of like a ready, ready-made backup that had scored back-to-back uh well, he's had back-to-back seasons where he had scored over 10 games. So I didn't understand the logic in loaning him out and keeping Dom Solanke, opposed to it being the other way around. Um, and I think he's someone, obviously being a young player, he's someone that could do with the season out on loan. Um, but as, as Klopp's model has shown, he doesn't necessarily like to loan out uh, his young players too early. Mm-hmm. At least he wants them to then first learn the system that he wants them to play, maybe so that when they go out on loan, they will have you know a point of reference on, of the type of things he would want to see them execute whilst on loan. So I, I do understand the, the logic in that. And if you look at the chances that Dom Solanke had, I know he had the, the, the bigger chance, so to speak, in uh, I think it was on 15 minutes. Mm. Where the ball came in from the right, uh, Klein Klein hit the byline and crossed it in. Um, Dom Solanke went up for the header. He just missed the header. Um, as he was coming down, the ball sort of ricocheted back to him, and he just swung his foot at it. And Pickford sort of made quote unquote a, a good save, but it was kind of right next to his body. And I think a Dom Solanke that had that had played maybe five games in a row might have taken more time to try and place that shot. Opposed to a player that's coming, you know, this this was his first start in quite a while, if if I'm not mistaken. You can correct yeah, me if yeah. I'm wrong. But um, so it's one of those where as soon as the chance came to him, I think he was sort of thinking, you know, just swing your foot at it, get get, you know, get get a shot on target, you know. Um, whereas if it was a player that had been playing regularly, he would have been a lot more calmer in that situation. And in in, in terms of um, Danny Ings, I don't think it would be fair to really judge him on that game because he was playing effectively as a right winger, 
which um, I don't think he's done much of in, in his career. So in that sense, I, I thought he was he struggled to sort of get involved in the game as much as he would have loved to. And in terms of if there was a player that every, or let me not generalize, uh, if, if there was a player that I would will to get a goal this season, it, it has to be Danny Ings. I desperately want him to get a goal. It would be such a good thing for him. And if you look at, um, the thing with Danny Ings is, if you look at on paper, he does have the closest attributes to Firmino in terms of the strikers we do have at the club. Um, that are, And I'm talking both uh, strikers that are loaned out and strikers that are at the club at at the moment. In the sense that he does have the energy levels of a Firmino. He does have the pressing, um, although he's still learning the, the pressing and when to press and how to press. But he, he does have a willingness to press. And he does have a willingness to sort of move in and around that number nine role and effectively um, effectively be, you know, there was the false nine. But I think Firmino is actually more of a false six with, if you look at the amount of tackles that he makes. And, <laughs> um, Danny Ings, he does have those traits. So he could be a decent backup, but I don't know if he could be the first choice backup, maybe as a second choice backup, um, because purely because he hasn't actually put the ball in the net. It's all well and good willing him to do it and hoping that he does it. And you can see that he has the potential to do it, but until he actually does it, that's the concern for me. But I, I have a feeling, hopefully, that the moment he gets one, then he'll get two, he'll get three, get four. You know, that, that sort of old age saying where it will just then start to fall in for him. So of the two, personally, I would I would prefer Dom Solanke going out on loan, having an opportunity now that he's he's seen what Klopp would, would want to see from him out on loan, get get a full season, you know, out of him, see what he can do, um, where he's playing week in, week out. With regards to Danny Ings, if he's okay being the third choice uh striker, then then I, I wouldn't mind keeping him purely because he has the traits and the potential to actually execute what we would want from a backup. Um, but in terms of do we have enough, I'm, I'm assuming that Origi is going to be sold, unfortunately. It's it's just a gut feeling that I have. Um, obviously, Sturridge will be sold if, if we're able to to get someone to buy him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming or hoping that we would be bringing in someone that's a backup striker and mm. maybe looking at a characteristic of someone that can sort of like maybe that can sit on a bench, like I was describing James Milner earlier, where he could miss five games, but the moment he gets on the pitch, his level, you know, his standards don't drop. He doesn't need a couple of games to, to, to you know, to get his groove back. Um, and it could tie in, the key factor could actually end up tying in, if we bookend this, this podcast, it could tie into what we were saying about Carrius at the beginning in the sense of, we don't have that much money. So if we could maybe save some money in keeping like a Karius as our number one and then the rumors of, you know, like an Ika Casillas coming in as a backup, as a mentor to mm. him, mm. then then we could save a bit of money there in terms of the transfer fee because Casillas will be a free transfer. And then you look to then spend rather that money on a backup striker slash winger. And you could double up on that striker winger like um, Guy was hinting at. And if you keep a Harry... Harry Wilson in the team and then you bring in like a Wilfred Zaha who he can play up front and he can play on the wing then we're looking at you know using our money a bit more you know more shrewdly Mm. oh that's interesting that's interesting it would be so this is another one of those big transfer windows I think coming up for Klopp but it just seems we say that about every transfer (laughs) window now so I'm just gonna let him do his thing and see later because everything has worked so far um, no, thanks very much, guys. We have reached an hour, so that's our time up for this podcast. I'm going to let you do some plugs. What you got going on, my man, Guy? Um, I was on Nina's show yesterday, but I imagine people listening to this will have enough of the Everton game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will be on, I'll be on post-match duty for the um, Man City second leg. So if you want to listen to me again, you, you're lucky because I'll be back. <laughs> every every pod this week <laughs> awesome <laughs> we're very thankful for that guy did you for you any articles coming out any other pods you're going to be on um i'm 
I'm still working on on Ooh. that art class where I know it's it's gags been, gonna find it's, you, bro. <laughs> no, I'm I'm avoiding gags as much as possible. But I think the I think it's only fair to put the general the general shout outs out there. You know, Anfield Index. A lot of content has been coming out, and credit to you, gags and the team. I don't know if Gags sleeps at the moment. I'm convinced he doesn't. Uh, with the amount of work he's been putting in, so. Um, AI channel in general. There's also the non-Liverpool AI stuff. If you if you want to break, let's say from the Liverpool stuff, which is also quite good. Um, the they have the EPR roundtable. Um, maybe I'll shout out those guys with the, uh, Kev Kev De Vries. Um, and they sort of bring in other other teams um, fans, and and they give a sort of nice roundup idea of what other teams' philosophy is, how they're faring in the Premier League. So. Yeah, to Kevin, those guys, they're doing a good job. So I'll shout them out. Nice, nice. That's a good plug. All right, well, that's all from us, dear listener. Thank you so much for joining in. Big thanks to my panel. It was it's a bit of a difficult game to comment on afterwards, and I'm sure everything has been talked to death. And I do hope that the little different spin we put on this pod and discussing some of the other issues in and around uh, players and circumstances and that uh, gave you a good listen. We will be back for the Bournemouth game, so do keep a, give a do keep an ear out for that. Until we until then, we will see you again. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Let's get ready to rumble. Sports Social Podcast Network.